the Gospel of Mark and chapter 6. We're going to read together, putting this feeding of the 5,000 into its context, beginning at verse 30, and we're going to read through to verse 44. Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 30, the Word of God says this, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to sit in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Amen. This is God's word. Perhaps no story in the Bible, other than the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, confronts us with the reality of our Lord's deity more directly than this feeding of the 5,000. Only God could do what occurred on that remarkable day in Israel. And as God's people this morning, I want you to do one thing. Very difficult and very hard. But I want you to forget all that you've heard of this story before and read it afresh with eyes to see and to hear. This story is so popular and it's so captivating for children and adults. And this story is so important in the life and ministry of Jesus that this miracle that we have just read outside of the resurrection is the only one that is recorded in all four Gospels. Quite a remarkable thing. You'll find it in Matthew 14. You'll find it in the account that we've just read in Mark chapter 6. You can read it in Luke 9. And if you want more, you can go to John and read it in John chapter 6. And John 6 informs us that this miracle made such an impact on this crowd that day that they attempted to take our Lord Jesus Christ by force and make him king. We don't read that in Mark, but the other Gospels, especially in John, we read of that. But yet, our Lord would refuse. And praise God that he did. Remember the Gospel of Mark when we first began? His eyes are fixed on one thing and one thing alone. And that is the cross. The cross in which he will bear 
the cross on which he will die upon, and the cross on which we look to in hope. And so our Lord would refuse those many people saying, please be our king, because he was the king of kings and lord of lords. There are many, many lessons in this feeding of the 5,000. 40 minutes, if I can keep it to that, doesn't do it justice. This is one of the miracles that has so many different facets attached to it that really in one sermon we can't give it justice, but we will structure the sermon in this way to gain hope and to see exactly who our great God is. And so this morning we're going to look at this under three headings. We're going to look at He is the Lord of little fears. He is the Lord of little faith. And He is the Lord of little food. So first of all, verses 35 through 36, He is the Lord of little fears. To put verse 35 into its context... We have to go back to verse 30. These apostles had gone through the land and had preached the word of God. And they had returned. And they hadn't come, as it were, with their tail between their legs. No, they come telling Jesus all that that they had done and all that they had taught. If you've ever been to a youth camp, you've ever been to a conference normally by the end of it you're so as it were pumped up this is exactly how the disciples were that day when they returned to Jesus as it were their zeal was on fire for God and God in his goodness the last time we opened this saw the need to take these men aside and to give them rest they'd worked hard They had done many things. And then verse 35 comes. And these men who had gone out to different places, who had preached the word, are now afraid. These men are afraid that the people will not be able to find any food to eat if the hour grows any longer. I'm sure these men are tired and hungry themselves. They can hear the rumblings in their belly. And I'm sure they can hear the rumblings in others who are around them. There was a large amount of people. They had left very quickly on that boat that day. They had not not brought anything to provide. And now these men with all these people are ten miles, as it were, away from home. They're in a desolate and a deserted location. They're in a place where there is no food to be found. It's not like here where every corner you see a large M. And that's for your McDonald's or you see the Starbucks logo. This is not what they had. They were in the middle of nowhere and nothing could be given to these people to eat. The disciples basically say, Lord, you've preached long enough. Send them on their way. Let these people go back and find some food. These disciples are filled with doubt and with fear. If Jesus keeps preaching, none of them are going to get a bite to eat. It's if I kept preaching on past 12 and we got to 1 and we got to 2, we got to 3 o'clock. There may be a few people starting to go through the back door because the smell of food would overcome us. And these men go to the Lord Jesus Christ and they express their doubts and their fears. But let me ask you a few questions today as you've come in here to worship God. Do you ever look at situations that you face in your life and become afraid and full of doubt? Do you ever look at a lost family member and wonder if they will ever be saved? Do you ever look at a physical need and wonder if it will be all right or will it lead to something worse? 
Are you ever afraid to open the mailbox because it might contain yet another bill? Are you ever afraid to answer the phone call because it might be news that you do not want to hear? Do you ever scan the days of your life as you get older and wonder how many days and weeks and months and years do I have left? Do you ever look at the world's condition that we stand and sit in today and become afraid, wondering how will it ever turn out? Do you ever wonder where your next meal will come from? What I'm asking you this morning is, do you ever have fears? I don't mean of spiders. I don't mean of snakes. I mean of hard, real life matters. If I was to stand up here and say that I fear no one or no thing, I'd be a hypocrite. We all fear. We're all afraid of the unknown. And when problems arise like we have with the disciples this morning, we can wonder, is the Lord of glory able to handle that situation? Remember who these men were disciples of Christ. And to their eyes on that evening hour, they looked out to the crowd. They could hear the rumblings of the bellies and the wondering of how they were going to be fed. And they thought, this is absolutely impossible. They were not coming to Jesus in faith. They were coming to him in fear. They were saying in so many words, Lord, this problem is actually greater than you are. We don't think you can handle it. You know what? You'd better send these people away or there may even be a revolt and we're going to be in trouble. He may never have said those words. But we may have acted in that manner. At times we can fret and worry about our problems and we're filled with doubts concerning the Lord's ability to solve them. Instead of coming to Jesus with a heart that says, Lord, I believe you, I love you, my God, and I know that no matter what problem I have, it is nothing for you. But what do we tend to do? We tend to hold them and carry them on our backs and have them weigh in our minds and as it were, they drain the life right out of us. The word of God time and time and time again tells us, trust me. Trust me and forget the times of fear. Forget the times of worry. Forget the times of even disappointment in your life. Trust me. Perhaps you're sitting there and you're going, Merv, you have no idea. You have no idea the fears that are in my life right now. For me, they are not little. And how dare you say they are little? They're huge, they're gigantic, they're impossible, they're anything but little. I say to you from the word of God, remember the attitude of those ten spies when they went into Canaan and they saw giants there. Remember your Sunday school days. They went in and they saw them and what did they do? There is no hope. Don't even go in there. It was an attitude of, I don't care who God is, he's not as big as these people. But regardless of the fears that you have, and you have them, they are little when they are placed next to Christ. If he can create a universe out of nothing, Surely he can meet your need. 
And here we pull on the handbrake and we hammer home that it was God who made the world. Not a bang, not a tadpole, not anything else. God created the world. And if God can keep Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through a furnace that was turned up so hot that those that were being thrown in were actually burnt up to a crisp, can he take care of you? If he can secure and close the mouths of ferocious lions in a den when a man is dropped into a pit and nowhere to go and there is no harm done to him. That same God can take care of you. If he can feed three million Jews in a desert for 40 years, surely he can take care of you. And here is the pinnacle. If he can defeat sin, and he can defeat death and hell and the grave and Satan using an old rugged cross and an empty tomb, he, dear brother and sister, can take care of you. The question I ask you this morning is, do you believe that he defeated these things? If he, our great and our glorious God, can save you from your sins, he can take care of you no matter what comes across your path. But I ask you, do you believe it? For 36 years, I've had the privilege of being taken to church every single Lord's Day. Apart from sickness and illness, I get. But for 36 years, the Word of God has been opened and read and instruction given. And yet at times I still fear. And you're all going, the math, what age is he? He's 41. My parents weren't believers for my first few years of my life. But we've heard and we read the word of God, I pray every day. If you haven't listened to Psalm or read Psalm 119, go home this afternoon and read it. If you're a fast reader, it's about 25 minutes. But read it. And we've read the word of God. And we've been to Sunday school. And we've sat under the word of God being preached and taught to us week after week after week. And yet we still fear. We still have worries. We still wonder. That is why I remind you this morning. God is good all the time. He kept those three men in that fiery furnace. He kept that man in the lion's den. He kept many, many Jews in the desert for years. And he did defeat sin, death, and the grave. We fear. And we worry. But as believers this morning, whatever that is, Bring it to him. Bring it to him in confidence, knowing that indeed he is a good God. And he is willing to hear the prayers of God's people. And he's willing to take care of you. The Bible tells us that even as a sparrow falls to the ground, a little bird, God cares for his people more. What a, what a blessing and a privilege that is. Jesus is indeed the Lord of fears. But he's also the Lord of little faith. These men come. And they didn't come in faith saying, you know what, Jesus, how can we help you overcome this problem? No. These men want Jesus to send the people away. Send them away. Verse 36. 
Tell them to shoo away and go get their own food. Sort yourself out. Go wherever you can and buy whatever is able you're able to purchase in these days. They come to Jesus with that attitude. They come to Jesus and say, look, this is a huge problem. We, there's nothing that can be done here. Send them all away. And look what Jesus does. It's as if it were that slap across the face. Don't you know who I am? He answered them, you give them something to eat. Us? We cannot feed these people. Should we go and buy and bring food in? No. He says, you feed them. This command is immediately met with unbelief. The Gospel of John, in the, in the Gospel of John, Philip is the one who speaks up and he says there that 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have just a little. We have it in, in Mark as, as the denarius or the denarii, which was a, a day's wage for an average worker. It would have taken the average worker eight months to earn the amount of money that Philip and John is talking about. In modern day terms, it was about $10,000. It was more money that they could ever hope to collect on a short notice. And, and Philip is saying, Lord, even if we had $10,000, we couldn't satisfy all these people. It is impossible. Jesus says, feed them. The disciple says, we can't, we don't have the resources. This is a problem that cannot be solved. These men looked and they considered that the problem, that, that it was insurmountable. It was things that they couldn't change or they couldn't help. But he was right there. These men, in their eyes, were facing an impossible challenge. It didn't matter that they'd seen Jesus turn water into wine, that they had seen him heal lepers and, and cast out legions of demons and, and calmed violent storms and healed people with incurable diseases and raised people from the dead. You would think out of the twelve that the penny would drop. Hey, remember when he did that? I wonder, can he do something here? It didn't matter that he'd proven himself to them over and over and over again. They're like that bucket with holes. They forgot all that mattered to them was that very moment, that obstacle that was right before their eyes. It was as if they said, we can't. And you know what? We don't believe you can either. Oh, ye of little faith. And we can, yeah, give it to them. But we're just as bad. Let me ask you a few questions. Has God ever failed you, believer? Has he ever failed you? Have you ever had a genuine need that he didn't meet? Have you ever seen him fail to keep one promise that he ever made? I can answer those for you if you're found in Christ. No. God has never failed us. And God never will. He saved your soul. He lifted your feet from that miry clay and he set your feet upon a rock. Him. 
That's why yesterday, around a graveyard in the middle of nowhere, someone was to ask me how you get there. I have no idea. I am so thankful for Apple Maps. But in the middle of nowhere, in a graveyard full of other people whose bodies had been laid to rest, a number of us got to see a casket lowered into the ground. And standing there, it reminded me, and I hope it reminded those who are in Christ, that he is with us, and he will never leave us nor forsake us. Our sister Thelma was a believer. She had that hope. She had that faith. She had that saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That when that time came. And God took that breath from her lungs that final time. She was with him in paradise. But I ask you this morning, do you have that peace? Do you have that faith? Do you have that assurance that you are found in Christ? Even this morning, our brother in the book of Revelation and from good old Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, which I know I quote quite a bit. But for some, they walk across that final river and it's as if they can do it majestically and great. They had strong faith. And yet for others, it's as if they're gasping for air trying to get across. Little faith. And yet, it was faith nonetheless. That small faith that we had was sufficient to join us to a God who was wonderful. A God who was majestic. A God who takes our faith and he builds upon it day after day after day. A God who is a good God. A God who is worthy of our praise. And yet at times we do even church half-heartedly. In the book of Matthew, he, says, he said to them, that's Jesus said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. The very faith of a mustard seed. You ever seen a mustard seed? We were reminded yesterday in the eulogy of, of planting sweet pea. And they can be kind of bigger seeds than normal. You ever seen a mustard seed? You almost need a magnifying glass to find it. In Mark, Jesus said to them, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. There are times when we look at circumstances and our unbelief is more than our belief. I urge you, call upon him. Call upon Christ. He can. In Matthew 21, Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will be happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. This morning, do you? Do you have faith? Not in yourself. Not in yourself. Because here is the warning. James 1 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. 
For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. When trials come, when difficulties come, ask in faith. When we act like the disciples and we look at the problem instead of the problem solver, what do we expect to happen? We expect to be like those men. Send them away. Be gone with those trials. But no, God takes us through that deep, dark trial. Why? Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? I will fear no evil. Why? Because Christ and God is with us. Even in your darkest hour, the Lord Jesus Christ is there. When we try to do things on our own strength, what does it do? It brings failure. When we believe in God for even the impossible, we will see him do incredible things time after time after time. How do we know? Children, have you ever heard of a man called Gideon? He was a mighty man. And Gideon was a man who loved God. And in Judges 7, tomorrow night when you are doing your family worship or whenever you do it, perhaps you could have your dad or your mom read it to you in Judges 7, it tells us of Gideon going to battle. And what happens through that story is he starts off with a very large amount of people in his army. A large amount of people. And what happens when we have the backing of a lot of people is we tend to, well, we don't really need God. We've got all these people. And what does God do? He removes them. And he keeps whittling down this army, this mighty army, and he keeps bringing it down and down and down until there are only a few hundred men. And they are going to battle against a large army. Now imagine if you were one of those men. And you looked at the horizon. And you saw a vast encampment of people. And you looked to the right. And you looked to the left. And there was only a handful of you. What would you do? Some people might run the other direction and get out of there. But these men and Gideon, the leader of this army, did something that day. They trusted God. They knew that God would give them the victory. Not man, not the thousands of men in that army, but God. And so it is with us. We try to do things in our own strength. We try to do things to get the applaudits of others and men. No, no, no. We need to do things in God's strength. That is why congregation pray for your pastors. Pray for those who stand up here and preach God's word. That we do not do these things in our own strength. In our own intellectual abilities. needs to be done in the strength of the Lord. That he receives all of the glory and all of the praise. And that our faith would increase seeing God doing a mighty work. Thirdly, he is the Lord of little food. The Lord of little food. 
after this display of faithlessness, of worry, of fear. Jesus asked the men in verse 38, How much food do you actually have? Go and find out. There was a vast crowd, and in that vast crowd was one young boy. We read that in John 6, who had a small lunch bag with him. And all that he had was five loaves and two fishes. Now, there are times when we read that, we think it's some big massive French baguette that he had, that, you know, maybe there's a slight possibility that if we cut it thin enough, we could feed most of them. Or, you know, maybe there's someone in the back and they've got a sourdough starter and they're making bread and there's enough. And we look at man. These loaves were no bigger in circumference than that of a tennis ball or a softball. They were flat. And these fish were not bass or 700-pound yellowfin tuna. They were the fish that those people ate in those days. And what were they? The size of a sardine. And when they returned with these minuscule amounts, the disciples... And it's Andrew at this time and John that we read off is, what on earth are these small things amongst so many? How on earth are we ever going to do this? And from a human perspective, they're right. There's times as husbands, we can say to someone at church, hey, would you like to come for lunch? And we perhaps don't tell our wives that we've invited someone and on the drive home we say, oh yes, I have such and such coming over and we get that look from our wives off. What? Same thing here. How on earth are we going to feed these people? But look at verse 39. Christ doesn't even flinch. Look what he says. And he commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass. He didn't look at this and then look at the crowd and go, yeah, we got no hope here. I thought there might have been more. No. He says, sit down in companies. That word literally means in rows. It's like if you imagine those vegetables in a garden in a nice, neat, orderly row. And then we're reminded, if we keep reading, and they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. Hmm. If our minds are really thinking this morning and I haven't put you to sleep yet, it should remind you of someone in the Old Testament, Moses, who did the same. He sat them down in these groups. And Jesus here at this point serves as the host of a Masonic... Uh, a messianic banquet. And this desolate place becomes a place of plenty. And just like Moses all those years ago met Israel's physical needs with manna and the quail, a greater than Moses is here. Not only the good shepherd, but also the bread of life. And he will feed his people here with an abundant feast a feast that unlike they've ever known before. But yet in verse 39, we need to read of something remarkable. Mark here gives us the profile of the one who is doing all of this. Turn back in your Bibles. And you will see in verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they are like sheep without a shepherd. Here we have in verse 39, the good shepherd. The grass was green, Mark tells us. The people sat in rows, and the people would not want by the end of that day. Remind you of a psalm? A psalm that was read yesterday. 
Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The one who took them little loaves and those little fish is the same that we read off in Psalm 23 and throughout all of the pages of Scripture. Even the location and the description, it reminds us of Jesus Christ who is with us and who draws near to us. Even here in feeding of the 5,000, it reminds us he is the good shepherd. He then takes these loaves. He takes the fish and he lifts his face towards heaven and he blesses the food. Christ is not upset that this is all he has. No, he's not bothered by the small amount. He took what was given him and he began to break it. And he kept on breaking and he kept on giving. And Jesus took those little biscuits and those little sardines and they were multiplied in his hands. And he kept on breaking them and he kept on giving them to his disciples and the loaves and the fish kept on coming. Here we see Christ in all of his glory. Here we see the one who created the heavens and the earth accomplish this miracle. No man could have done this. To feed 5,000 men plus women and children would have required them to empty their baskets and return for Jesus for refills. And maybe the first time the disciples thought, okay, I've got a good basket here. I've got to go easy. So the first people maybe only got a little bit. But then they came back and they're going, is it going to be that he's run out of food? He never did. Not once. He kept breaking and he kept giving until every person in that crowd had more food than they desired for. And the disciples took up what was left. And there were 12 baskets, one perhaps for every doubting disciple. What is the point of this passage? One that we know oh so well. God is more than enough. He can take the little and he can do much. That mother who packed that lunch that day had no idea. You want to meet some people in heaven? She's one of the ones I'd love to. What did your son say when he came back? Mom, your basket fed so many people. Because of him. And who is the him? Jesus. Jesus took what was available and he multiplied it for his glory. When we give what we have to him, he amazes us time and time again. When the situation arose and the question from Jesus was, how are we going to handle this in John John 6? There were four responses that could be given and the disciples did the first three or the first two. Let's just get rid of the problem. How often have we done that? Well, let us raise money and perhaps that will help us. We have little, but it will never be enough for the fourth. Take it to him. Take it to the Lord Jesus Christ. If he can use the cry of a little baby to bring peace to Abraham and Sarah... If he can use a stammering man called Moses to lead his people from Egypt, to stretch out his hand and his rod to part the sea and deliver his people from Pharaoh, 
If he can use a little boy named David who slung a stone and removed a mighty giant. If he can use tiny bread called manna to feed his people for 40 years. If he can use a leather mantle to part the Jordan for Elijah and Elisha. If he can use a widow with a little meal and a little oil to take care of the man of God. If he can use a little woman by the name of Mary to bring into a little world that baby called Christ who would die and go to a cross and would be raised again. What are we to do? Trust him. Is there something in your life today that's troubling you? Then, dear saint, bring it to him. Bring it to him. Do not wait another day. Do not hard, hard, hold on to those fears and worries another moment. Bring them to him. And just to make one thing abundantly clear... Jesus could have done all of this without anything. Jesus could have fed that multitude that day with nothing. But he, he chose to use what was given to him for his glory. Bring and place into his hands today. He will take it and use it in ways that you cannot imagine. You've been given talents and abilities. Dear saint, use them. Bring your gifts to him and watch him multiply them for his glory. Bring yourself and watch him use you. You see, God specializes in something. He specializes in taking these frail clay bodies and using them for his glory. Please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians and with this we close. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Where we read this in verse 7. That we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God. And not to us. We are afflicted in every way. But not crushed. Perplexed. But not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always been given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us. But life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written. I believed. And so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing. That he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more, more people it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Believer in Christ, that is you this morning. I urge you, do not lose heart. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Day by day. May it be that we would look at ourselves as those jars of clay. Doesn't seem like much. Doesn't look like much. But yet... Those vessels are the honor and glory of our great God. Today, whoever you are, get your life into the hands of him who can help you and aid you throughout this life. Let us all pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, this miracle of feeding the 5,000 is so well known to us, something that has been taught for many, many years to many of us, and we've heard it so many times. But Lord, we pray that your word would come afresh to us this morning. Lord, help us to see indeed the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory. The one who truly did take these little loaves and these tiny fish and fed thousands of people. Lord, our minds at times, for being honest, wonder did it really happen, and yet we believe it did. This morning we ask that you would increase our faith in you. Lord, at times forgive us for our unbelief. Forgive us when we doubt, when trials come, are you able to help us, Lord? Many of us can attest in this room this day that yes, you are. And so we pray that we would cling on to those promises. Lord, we think of those who do not have this hope or this faith. Lord, we pray that this would not just merely be another time that they've come and ticked the box of attendance. Lord, we pray that even as they leave this place, that that still voice would come as that thunderous voice. Lord, we pray, give them no rest until they find you. Lord, we pray that you would save souls this day. For we ask it in and through your Son's precious name. Amen.